And it's Friday, and welcome to another episode of the Dice Are Screaming podcast. Oh, oh nice one. I do have to say, that is a nice, deep bass. Well, I'm feeling a little better today, so, oh, yeah. you know, uh, I've been a little overworked, a little worn down, but uh, really making a great comeback. So, uh, we're launching into our Friday free-for-all. Yeah. With well, uh, just abundant fun and good cheer. Yeah, usually we chew up a little bit of time and just ham it up here, but uh, we're going to turn right to the Collins because Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Podcast, I hope I said that right, uh, sent us some uh, some of his thoughts on our Boot Hill segment. So we're yeah. just, just going to turn right into these because he's Glad got you some, enjoyed. Yeah. We're going to turn right into these and uh, get them out for you. So be right back. So take it away, Jason. Okay, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast here. So, Boot Hill, a subject near and dear to my heart. Grew up in a family that loved westerns. I love westerns. My actual name is after Jason Miles is after a mountain man in a story my dad wrote. Last year, my mom, God bless her, was starting to have mobility problems and she was worried she wouldn't be able to get around as well. So, we took a special family trip, an uh, old west trip. We stopped at Dodge City, and we went to Tombstone, and, you know, we, we hit a bunch of places, a bunch of um, battlefields, you know, um, for the Indian Wars, things like that, and it was a great trip, very enjoyable, and very glad, very honored I got to do that with my mom before she wasn't able to do that. So, yeah, Westerns are near and dear to Jason's heart. So, real quickly, I know I'm going long, Boot Hill... I'm a second edition Boot Hill kind of guy. I've got third, but I've got everything for second. Um, I've you know, had the box set for years, and not too long ago, maybe, I don't know, five, six years ago, I went and picked up all the modules that I didn't have from um, Noble Knight Games and eBay. So I've got everything for Boot Hill that was published, at least for the earlier editions. I'm very happy with it. The other games, though, are interesting. I'm not so much in the fantasy games. I mean, they're fine. I actually like the sixth gun setting a little better from for Savage Worlds than I do Deadlands. But the game I want to mention real quickly, and this will go into another call, sorry, is Aces and Eights by Kenzer & Co., who you kind of mentioned when you talk about Knights at the Dinner Table. So Aces and Eights, I'm sure you guys are aware of it, but it uses a very interesting aiming system. I'm sure you guys are aware of this, but your listeners may not. So Aces and Eights... You have silhouettes of everything you can imagine. Guys standing, guys crouching, guys laying on the ground, guys hiding behind their horse, silhouettes of horses. But anyway, whatever your target is, you have a silhouette of it. And you have a basically a crosshair, a big aiming thing that you put over, overlay that you put over that silhouette. And what you roll tells you where you hit in relation to where you aimed. So, you know, if you're aiming center mass of the chest and you miss by a little bit, you might still hit like the stomach or the shoulder where if you're aiming at his left knee and you miss, there's a lot less there to hit, right? So it's, it's a really interesting system. The game has lots of subsystems. It's kind of complicated. I think I would just lift the, game, the aiming system out of that game and incorporate it into a different game somehow. But I always thought it was interesting. So I won't bore you anymore, but yeah, man, I love Westerns. All right. Hey, Jason. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, it's, that's great to hear from you, man. I love the, uh, the story about your, your grandmother and your family being able to take those trips and uh, oh, make mom. Oh, his mom. I'm yeah. Yeah. 
His mom. Uh, being able to make a trip like that while you still can and to just get out and see like the things that you all collectively love and see them together. Oh, that is outstanding and awesome. Plus, the love of the Western is no stranger to uh, this crowd here. A uh, lot yeah. of, lot of like I wouldn't even call them squandered, but a lot of well-spent evenings uh, doing uh, both the spaghetti and the top-tier Westerns, and even some of the, like your B-grade Westerns here and there. Oh, but, you know, loving the classics, you know, like Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, mm-hmm. uh, My Name is Nobody, you know, I, which... Once uh, Upon a Time in America. Oh, and uh, I, I remember the guy's name now, Terrence Hill. Or Once Upon was, a Time in the Old West. It was the guy I was trying to mention at the last podcast, Terrence Hill. Uh, and Bud Spencer, who did the Italian uh, Trinity movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they may indeed have been spaghetti westerns, but they were an awful lot of fun. Uh, and I have recycled one line Trinity in particular. And Bambino. Trinity and Bambino. Uh, Any monk who is a monk, punch a monk that ain't a monk. <laughs> Which is code for just punch everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh I have harvested a lot of gags from the Trinity movies, but no, um, no. Uh, the confessional, a... to me, still breaks me up to this day. <laughs> oh, where Bud Spencer. <laughs> Bambino goes in to confess for the first time ever. <laughs> the poor guy blanches. Ah, that was what he made for me. You know, like he was coming at me with a right cross. <laughs> um, beats up the priest. Uh, no, no, uh, that's not all either. I mean, it's not just uh, the classic uh, John Wayne uh, Rooster Cogburn movies, you know, it, it's not, it's all encompassing. There are so many good westerns out there, but we're absolutely on board, man. Boot Hill Second Edition, that was their zenith. That yeah, was, that's where really we caught up on it. I mean, I did see a couple the early ones, and boy, they were a little primitive. But yeah, Second Edition had about the right amount of rules. I personally liked where they went with the Third Edition one, but hey, you know, that's all in the. You know, that little folio or softback, I like that book quite a bit because it had a lot of good detail to it. Oh, I, I just remember it really like coming into its own yeah. as a game. I mean, it was so poorly fleshed out in the first edition, like you left with the feeling that there was a whole lot more you could do here. Uh, and, but again, just you but know, it was open brand a book new. or read a couple Zane Grey novels, you, there's your adventure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you it, it left you to do a lot on your own in the second iteration uh, they fleshed out a lot more for the less experienced DM, you know, who may not be able to wing it. Diana uh, Dysentery. <laughs> uh, hitting the Oregon Trail and Diana Dysentery. Uh, well, and hey, how do you think we knew what pemmican was when we were 10? Yeah. Okay, who the he- what 10-year-old knows what pemmican is? For canon. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, no, I... The love of the Western is a beautiful thing. I I am very glad you enjoyed that episode, man. Yeah, we enjoyed talking about it, even if we didn't really delve into the mechanics too much. And thanks for the aces and eights, too, as well. I think the system is a little too fiddly for me. I do like that aiming silhouette and uh, the targeting uh, diagram. I think you're onto something there, that that is a, a facet of that particular game that is well worth hijacking uh, for other games, uh, just to you know, like kind of fuse it into other game systems and make use of it because that's that's a unique way to resolve injury location uh that aces and eights had there Mm -hmm. exactly i like it 
But yeah, even if you missed, you could still hit somebody in you know the leg if you were aiming for their belly. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but all right, Jason, thanks for the call-ins, and uh, yeah, no bother, man. <laughs> Just keep them coming. <laughs> Those great moments of comedy, like you know, you you, you headshot somebody, and everybody goes, "Great shot!" I was aiming for his hand. So. <laughs> it works. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, wait around until we get to, around to talking about Cyberpunk Red. Oh. Yep. Um, it'll so, happen. It'll happen. So, all right. So, um, we're just going to turn to to paying the bills a little bit and getting some uh, of that off our chest and out on the air. So, thank you all for listening, and we'll be right back after these messages. All right, and we're back. And, well, much to your regret. <laughs> oh, we're back. Yeah. Oh. What's in the box? Oh, I don't what, know. What, what's our topic? Come oh, on, show me what's in the box. What's in the box? Come on. Well, all right. Gaming backgrounds. Are they useless claptrap added to make the game more wield- unwieldy and unplayable? Or are they just simply unneeded? Tonight, <laughs> we'll be talking about that and more. We report. You decide. No. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's why I'm <laughs> No. Uh, character backgrounds. Um, at, you know, there, there has been the occasional heated debate over this, and I, I wish this was going to be one of those ones where uh, we had a exceptionally controversial opinion, but uh, honestly, this is one where we're kind of in the same zone, so there, there's, no, there's, there's not going to be a real give and take back and forth on this one. Uh, we're of mixed minds, you know. It, it's uh, I'm, I'm going to come out of the gate and say they're not a critical necessity, but they're a terrific part of the game. Uh, I, you can play a game without them, but I, I don't know why you'd feel you had to. I, I've always thought that uh, they added a lot. So let's yeah. let's start off. Let's see how you know. Tell well, me what you think of character uh, backgrounds. Ah, I see. It's point and counterpoint. All right, Jane, you ignorant slut. Um, <laughs> oh. No, that was uh, that was the counterpoint. What was that? Dan, Dan Aykroyd and, and uh, Jane Curtin. Ah, uh. Dan, you ignorant male chauvinist pig. Once again, you demonstrate how little you know or care to know. No, no, well, go for it, man. I, no, I, 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 I want to hear what you. Yeah, what are the highlights of? You know, character backgrounds, just starting out of the gate here. Because we're, well, we, we're in ramble mode, folks. You know, we're just going to we're gonna just hash this out a little piece at a time. Right. I think, uh, well, the reason why we went for it tonight is it's kind of clickbaity. And to be honest, uh, nothing starts a good conversation like a little bit of controversy. And, yeah, it's controversial. Like, gaming backgrounds, are they necessary or are they just a bunch of hindrance and hoo-ha? Well, sure, okay, that's great. But what do you really think? Okay, well... You know what? If you get something out of having a background in a character, and it makes it seem more alive, and uh, it brings more to the table, and it makes your character seem much more engaging, and gives everybody a better experience, then yes, it is absolutely worth it. If it's done just simply for the fact of roach and uh, simple mechanics, it can get a little dry, it can get a dull and formulaic and forgettable, which kind of lends a little bit to. The fact that maybe it's an unnecessary burden, or maybe just useless baggage written on the back of a character sheet and barely remembered, but 
even if that were the worst case, you still come out way ahead of, like, well, my character's Boris the Elf, and, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he carries a longbow, and, uh, he is the morning star. Boris the Elf. Creepy, crawly, creepy, All right, it has nothing to do with an elf, but... I can't remember who did that, uh... Who did that? Who, exactly? No, but who did that? You said it. Who did that? Exactly. Oh, you are impossible. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> that out of the way. <clears throat> yeah, all right. Uh, but I, I, I am going to go out on a limb uh, and advocate for a, a, a notion that is in defense of the character background. Uh, I don't know how many people have done, like, Iron Player sessions where... You show up, and it's a handful of pregens that, you know, have got to make it through this mission. And they've been, you know, put together for exactly those purposes. So their quirks, faults, flaws, and backgrounds are things that are essential to the plot. Uh, where you don't pick and build your character, but instead you're challenged to step up to the plate of playing what you've been handed, up to and including the background components. I've done some, you know, Iron Player-style moments mm -hmm. over the years uh, where I was handed a character cold. Uh, and then I RP'd that character like I'd handcrafted it myself. Uh, I think I got a lot out of that experience. I did not feel at all like this was, oh, this is dragging me down. The fact that, uh, you know, my, my rogue has a morbid fear of snakes... Uh, you know, man, that is just like it just ruins the whole character for me. And he's allergic to copper; it breaks out in hives. It's true. That's why yes, they only take platinum and gold. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> can't touch electrum. Nope. 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 It's got copper in it. Uh, you know, turns my skin green. And silver. Some of the silver has some copper in it too. Yep. Can't touch that. Oh, it's only gold uh, and platinum. It, yeah. It's, if it's debased currency, I'll know. It's like the princess and the bee. You know, <laughs> I I leave I leave my coinage under my bed at night. If I wake up with a bruise on my back, something in there was fake. So. And you know, his fingers are, are masterwork tools. I mean, would, he has a 99% pick locks uh, skill. If he gets hives on his, and his fingers touch copper, it's over. You know, he takes a negative 10 could, penalty, and that could, could be, be a, could missing. be a career breaker right yeah. there. No, no. Uh, I've enjoyed campaigns like that. So uh, I'm not saying that everybody has to do that or that that is the only way to game. Uh, but I am saying that even with background traits that I didn't personally pick, I still had a great time. Uh, yeah, we've done the cold session. We played pre-gens. We played iconics. We've done back and forth. We've interjected uh, our own characters. We've made up uh, lots of backgrounds. But I think in our campaigns, I think, well, sometimes background has kind of been maybe like uh, just read aloud to get people started. Really? You know, just like, okay, your character came from this area of the campaign world, and now you're here. And this gives you a little bit of a hook to play with in getting your character uh, settled in the world. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, dinner. Um, it also lends itself well to getting you started, understanding the nature of the campaign, and moving in a forward direction to get kind of the game with it unique feel to its own world and own campaign. That said, there's also a lot to be um, made about characters designed from your own 
work by reading the campaign material or using a background generator from various oh, yeah, RPGs. Oh, like the, the new one in 5e. Um, yeah, they, they, they have it right in the PHB, you know. Ultimate uh, campaign in uh, Pathfinder it, and, uh, heck, even back in the, way back in the day, yeah. RuneQuest, you know, you had your back, you know, you, who your ancestors were, what battles they were a part of, and, you know, who you were related to. So this, you know, it sets you in a world squarely on your own two feet. Even if it were random rolls, you were still able to make sense of it. I want to connect the character background uh, to the beginning. Okay. Now, I, I admit openly and without, uh, you know, any shame that the earliest incarnations of the game had very little room for background discussion. Okay, there, you know, you were simply uh, an elf. I mean, the, the background was the random generation of your stats you found out. An unusually uh, heroist, you know. Elf who was good at climbing walls. <laughs> oh, your suit, yeah. Uh, <laughs> unusually hairy elf that was good at climbing walls. Um, <clears throat> and Boris. Now... <laughs> Who? They're the ones who wrote it. Uh, No, the the point I was making was that it was about the time the first edition was released. Uh, They had included just the very most rudimentary uh, table for background skills. Where did your character come from? And were there any useful skills that might have emerged from this background? Uh, such as having a knowledge of farming, uh, of animal handling, uh, you know, uh, fishing or the the operation of small craft, you know. uh, Mm -hmm. There was a table for this proto-background section in the original DM's Guide for First Edition. And that's really where you see the first indicator of background as a part of D&D. Where did your character come from? What did they learn during that? But it was mostly about, here's a skill set that you might find useful at some point in the future. Uh, For instance, if you came from a sailing background and you guys are obligated to all clamber into a boat and, you know, uh, push it across to uh, an underground island or something like that, uh, the person who has actually been in a fishing or sailing based career uh, will have a little bit of an advantage and can at least ply the DM with claims that, well, I grew up around boats. I know about this. So, you know, there was some merit there. Yeah. Now, second edition included a much wider variety of skills and you see skills emerge uh, and occasionally in the kits. Yeah. Uh, kits with options. backgrounds and usually These, had a background that uh, you had to link it into. Yeah. And they gave little hints at, and so you began to see the background concept expand very rapidly in the second edition of the game. So this is not a new argument. Uh, I, people who are discontented with the idea of a character having a background uh, are not just discontented with this most recent edition of the game. They are clearly discontented with Pretty much everything going back to edition two. (laughs) So uh, I I would uh, have to say that if you managed to go almost 30 years without soiling your hands with a background, I mean, uh, that's your choice, man. Uh, But that never bothered me. I'm, I'm actually fairly excited about the fifth edition where there are some subtle optional reward systems 
to encourage playing your character's strengths and deficits equally, as opposed to just focusing on your strengths and <clears throat> cough, forgetting about your deficits. Yep. Yeah, you forgot about that uh, reward, wanted dead or alive for killing the town mayor. Yeah, so, um, and your back character background, well, yeah, it doesn't really matter. No, yeah, and that's the other thing about the uh, Pathfinder, too, is they started with the uh, traits, which were, like, mini feats that were linked into your background that you could choose from. As well as, if you wanted to, some drawbacks from particularly bad events, like killing the mayor. <laughs> and, you know, being hunted. Um, there's a lot of stuff like that that can go on too. And, uh, also, uh, the, um, Shadowrun game, uh, third, yeah, fourth edition started really putting a lot of traits in there. The dark secret, negative 20 or plus 20 character build points. Oh, wow. For a dark secret, because the game master can literally screw you over at any time with it. Uh, yeah. And they did that quite purposefully that if you want that big chunk, your DM has to approve this one. Yeah, you know. <laughs> they are going to hose you mightily in exchange for those 20 points. But you'll probably have fun, if, if nothing else. Oh, yeah, especially if you have a, a DM who chooses to make it interesting as opposed to almost instantaneously fatal. Yeah, I it say, turns out that, uh, you know, you have an experimental piece of cyborg that you got for free and uh, that upgrade uh, monotonic enhancer in your uh, booster, excuse me, in your head was actually a... Uh, one-of-a-kind prototype that uh, has a tracker in it, and now they're coming to get you. <laughs> what was my character's name? What was your character's name again? Johnny. <laughs> Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, there is an example Johnny of Johnny Mnemonic is about to meet Repo Man, the genetic opera. Okay. <laughs> I've been behind on my three payments on my cybernetic heart. Well, that knock at the door isn't a pleasant one. <laughs> We're going to have to repossess your heart. But I'm still using it. No. We, you, Rodney, we don't have a problem was with that. using it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're getting it back one way or another. So, yeah, character backgrounds also go from game to game. And any character that you develop well enough should be linked into the background of the campaign. But sometimes, you know, when you're just beginning to do it, as I was talking earlier, you have a bit of a... You may not know much about the campaign world, and the easiest way to experience that is through a pre-gen or through using the character background uh, system that they provide to give you an, a feel for how the campaign not only plays, but how the world works and some of the interesting facets and disturbing natures that are usually incur incurred in a uh, campaign world. It allows the game master to kind of introduce them at small bite-sized bits rather than a whole front load of information and lore. You know, um, I gotta say, another defense of the character background uh, is that for some people, that's where the attachment comes in. Now, I'm not an advocate of becoming extremely attached to a character, uh, because there is always the risk that they mm. are going to bite the dust. Um, and I'm used to that. So, you know, there is only just so attached that I will ever get. But if you're trying to encourage players to make an investment, to show up every week like clockwork or every month like clockwork, uh, to put their all into it and to make plans with a certain amount of caution and try to reach the end goals of a like serious long-term campaign, 
getting them to vest in their character is a bonus, okay? So, to get that bonus, uh, background becomes a part of it, where they develop a relationship with this is what this person is about. This is what they like. This is what they dislike. This is what they fear. This is what they love. Once they've got their motivations, uh, they're still dice, so it's not just an acting job, you know? Uh, you, you get the stats you get, and the dice decide whether you're going to make it or not. But how your character behaves can be done pretty expertly. And getting people to have that sense of investment just enough, that balance between they're not super invested, like, oh no, Nobby Foot is dead. That's it. The world is over. No. Okay, that, that has gone too far. Merge it. <laughs> uh, that has gone too far. But having them try very hard to be in character and to be thoughtful about, like, what I'm playing a lawful good paladin. I mean, you know, uh, law and order, uh, you know, goodness and uh, rescuing people are their meat and drink. Uh, I don't think he would approve of, like, dunking the uh, captain of the watch in the latrines until he coughs up where the, the town's money supply is, is tucked away, you know, where the... You know, the, the chancellor's, uh, you know, personal loot stash is. Or the matron of the orphanage, you know, yeah. dunking her head over and over in the latrine until she coughs up where all the money for the yeah. orphanage Where's all that sweet, sweet orphan loot? Um, <laughs> you know, that, okay, maybe a little out of character for a paladin. So, uh, just the strictures of alignment also include, you know, background and, like, the attitude and disposition of the character. So, expanding on that with a little backstory... I think it's great. Uh, it gives the, the DM something to tie the characters to the game, especially if you're doing custom writing. Mm -hmm. uh, little less so if you're just doing a strict module series. Uh, you know, if you're machining it where, you know, we know the exact path of the campaign in several arcs, uh, and there's not a lot of squeezing inside material, uh, maybe it doesn't matter so much. But I love to handwrite, like, side quests. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I'm notorious for it. I, it's almost out of control. It's a habit. I can't help it. I love side quests. You need help. The, the little I like making the little side quest light go off over the heads of NPCs. Ping. Hey, I heard. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Just stop it. You need help. Just stop. Oh. Get help now. Oh. Did I just meme you? I did. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, so well, at least I'm not pointing my finger and yelling at a white cat. So yeah, that's oh. <laughs> you just take a moment and just have some respect. <laughs> I mean, who would have known that screaming uh, Beverly Hillbillies' wives or whatever they are—I don't know—wives of Orange County. I have no idea who they are. It's and then the cat's name is Smudge. Yeah, well, that cat is awesome. Yeah, so. the cat's awesome. Yeah. I don't know about the other. <laughs> <laughs> but why they're screaming at each you know, it <laughs> as a as a dank mean lord myself of the darkest stripe, I I just have to sit back and Yes. Yes let the hate flow. Ah, this is very good. I will make it legal. <laughs> I will make it the meme. <laughs> um that's what you do and you're just like you know, it's it's just so it's more powerful. It's Literally the nuclear weapon of memes. But yes, uh, we did not do this, the lady screaming at the cat memes at you, though. 
No, no. Well, I mean, you could expect no less than that from the, you know, giant clown shoes of of gaming podcasting. Uh, Huge, bright red, floppy clown shoes (laughs) that squeak. (laughs) That's the only thing that could be worse. So they squeak. Beep, beep, beep. Well, we're the two-headed literary gaming at... Well, of podcasts, I guess we can be the mismatched pair of clown shoes of uh, gaming podcasts. Well, better than the intoxicated and uh, somewhat unwashed French mime of gaming podcasts. So hungover and rude. <laughs> That's all of France. I, <laughs> no, I kid. If we, I kid. I kid. I kid. Uh, no, no. I, background is fun. I, I have had. So many characters in both camps. Uh, There have been occasions where, in my earliest gaming experiences, uh, not a lot of background was involved because I was really new to the game. I had just barely gotten the skills together to draft a character. You know, we're talking age 12, 13, 14. Uh, And I'm not saying that other people might not be more creative than I was. But, you know, I rattled off some characters, and I was like, ready, okay, let's play. And as time went on, uh, by the time I was about 15, then I started drafting characters that had a little story behind them. Not a whole lot, but a little. And it didn't really detract from the game much. No, and I think whether you use a little or a lot, it's your preference. And I think that's the big thing, is I think, as it stands right now, both Pathfinder and uh, fifth edition are using backgrounds cleverly and well they're just about they're at that goldilocks zone they're just right not too little not too much just enough and you can make of it what you can you can add more obviously with pathfinder you can add more to your background oh, and of yeah. course at fifth edition you can you're free to write as much as you want and Please. it's up to you and your game master to sit down and work out the details of that and that's the real thing, is it's just like this topic. It's a conversation started between you and your DM. Now, some defense about not using backgrounds. Games where it's not necessary. Now, like we just talked about Cyberpunk and Shadowrun. Uh, edge runners and Shadowrunners are not talkative about their past. Also, yes, this is one where you're actually, you might as well be a group of strangers meeting very quickly you know, you, you make a deal in a dark alley with somebody who's got a suitcase full of cred sticks that, you know, uh, can't be traced. And if you want the other half of your payment, you got to go do something. You don't sit down and, like, swap war stories about where you came from. Like, oh, let me tell you how bad it was in my old hometown. No. No. Everybody's operating under an assumed identity. There is no reason for discussing your personal life. But yet you still have a very in-depth background in Cyberpunk. You have the life path. In Shadowrun, you have your background uh, delineated by the options that you have. You know, that who were you before? But, okay, let's take another one. Paranoia. Uh-huh. Okay, you worked in R&D. Well, that's horrifying. <laughs> and you lived. <laughs> What's so bad about being from R&D? Do you know what they do there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where they test all the stuff that doesn't work. <laughs> Which is to say everything. <laughs> they develop the superb top-tier equipment that the computer has assigned you for this upcoming mission, and for which you will be grateful and responsible, and for which you will also be required to fill out a survey upon completion indicating 
the quality of the performance of these weapons. Uh, please be noted, or you please take note that uh, any negative commentary will reflect very poorly upon the Department of R&D that provided these weapons to you. And they will take grave exception. That means the next time you get a piece of equipment, look out. Your graves. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, yeah, there's another one where, okay, you don't need to know a whole lot. Dungeon Crawl Classics, that Grognardius oh, yeah. of Grognard simulations. It's a character funnel. You were a gong farmer. You were a turnip uh, molester. I don't know. Whatever you were. Um, it doesn't matter. You're here now, and this is what you're doing. And so you write your story as you go on. Or look at the Ghost Tower of Inverness and in classic uh, first edition D&D, where you're provided the ideal scenario is that you are handed a handful of characters, much like the tournament event, and you're expected to just go right in with those. Now, you can do it with your own characters, and that's fine. Now, nobody said you can't. But it was literally designed for people to be handed pregens with very little background of any kind. You're in there to get in and grind. Well, each of you had wronged the Duke. Yeah. And were basically, it was like a Suicide Squad or Dirty Dozen type scenario. Absolutely. That is a very apt comparison, which is part of what the charm... Except for Lee Han, that poor monk, you know, she was just there serving, you know, for past taxes. Yeah. You know... From I, the monastery. I can't even... <laughs> I, I can't help but empathize with the monk in that. You know, just... You know, never did anything wrong, but like, you know, they, they want to make something right with the Duke. Not not even a crime or anything. The only non-prisoner to go on this mission. <laughs> Man. Uh, Talk was, about your lawful alignment screwing you in the end. Yeah. Uh, make it out. Raw deal. Uh, Got to find a better Duke. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, <clears throat> but that is a perfect example of like background is not necessary at all. Yes, Assy. It, it is, is. It is. The categories with you. I, as she so often does, I, she gets very agitated, very excited about this show. Yes, she One does. of our biggest fans, by the way. Uh, Sassy <laughs> the Cat is. You know, she's an avid listener. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like I said, we get great numbers with the felines. Yeah, you know? we do. It's, we just. It, that is a big market segment for us. Uh, <laughs> untapped potential. Untapped there. potential. No. Uh, it's a perfect. That module is a perfect example of the background is not necessary to have a great time. You can jump right in and kick butt, have fun, get some laughs, uh, you know, solve some puzzles, maybe lose a fellow character, not get too attached, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I remember all of those old modules just came with these kind of nameless stat generation characters. I mean, yeah, maybe they had a name or a few magic items with them, but there wasn't anything else known. I thought it got more interesting when they gave us a little insights into the characters or give us a little bit of background. But such as it is. And here you are. But, you know, again, maybe you think differently. Maybe you have some different opinions. We'd love to hear them. And, uh, oh, sure, man. I, as we're uh, winding our way down. We're like, just... uh, I would love to hear, uh, you know, somebody mention uh, both examples. Like, one... Uh, a great adventure that they were on where nobody had a background. They just launch, boom, hit it, had a great time. And then an example of uh, there were, you know, backgrounds present in this, or this was the, the character that I built, and it went great, and I had a terrific time. You know, either I would love to hear, like, the cross-section of both examples from the same person. Because I've had that experience where, 
you know, one character in serious background, some mm -hmm. thought was put into where they came from and what they're about, and that impacted gameplay. And then another character, like, I am here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all, all out of bubblegum. Uh-oh. <clears throat> Just be careful how you phrase that, by the way. If you miss, uh, mess up and misplace a few of those words, it can be really embarrassing. <laughs> but anyway... Yeah, uh, as uh, we're going to wind this down, I think we covered it pretty well how we both feel. You know, backgrounds can be both a blessing and sometimes a, a bit of a hindrance. But I think even if, when they're a hindrance or even forgotten, they still add a lot to the game. So if that's the worst that ever came from having a background, eh, I'm willing to love it. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do not see them as a deficit in any respect. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily see them as a huge game. Uh, depends on the players. It's it's really what your team brings to the table that decides how great or how poorly that is going to work out. Yeah. So again, um, we're going to wind it down here. We're just going to pack it in and uh, call it a good day and a good podcast done. Hope you enjoyed. And of course, if you have any comments or questions, get a hold of us on our Facebook page and leave us a message there. Or of course, uh, if you want to talk to us and uh, have your us put your uh, voice on the air such as it is, or on our podcast, uh, you can get a hold of us and use the Anchorite app and become one of the Anchorite followers. We like those people. Yes, um, uh, they get snappy robes and uh, laser pistols as part of their, their uh, you know, cult gear. Yes, so as much as that's most thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, you can use the Anchor app to get a hold of us and uh, let us know your thoughts on that matter. But until that time, we're going to bid you adieu and... May the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.